Good evening, everyone. Welcome to ADV Moto Live, number 18, Suspension, Secrets, and Yamaha's new Tenere 700. In brief, suspension, we all feel it working, and we know it's important. It saves both rider and bike from hard impacts and vibrations, but tuning them for dual sport, riding has uh, unique challenges that's not found in other types of riding. Stick around with us tonight as we talk about Yamaha's Tenere 700 suspension settings and other ADV fork shock suspension basics on ADV Moto Live number 18. Alright, well, we've got a really cool guest on tonight. We're going to dive into the topic. The ADV revolution in the U.S. and abroad pulls influences from all genres of riding. I mean, talk about everything from racing to touring, and now even microbikes, uh, like the monkeys and everything, down to 50cc. Despite the range of bikes that we have, one thing they all have in common is a need for good suspension. Good suspension is not only a performance and comfort consideration, but really, largely, also safety. As ADV bikes get more off-road oriented, we demand a lot more from these bikes. And our guest tonight has brought his racing passion and expertise into everyday bikes, like the Honda CB500X and BMW's 310GS. Everyone, please welcome Rally Raid founder, John Mitchinson. Hey, John, you there? Oh, no, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, very good. It's uh, one in the morning here, so we're okay. When you yeah, start. it's... Uh, what are you, you guys are five hours, five hours ahead? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time out. I know you guys are always busy. You just got back from the um, Qatar rally, right? Yeah, last week. So we were supplying 20 kits to the Qatari Motor Federation to fit for the, the bikes at the last minute. They just decided to run a, a bike class in the rally. They normally just run cars and buggies from side to side. Wow, that's, that's crazy. 20 kits, huh? Yeah, so we had to go over and spend two days fitting them, and then we just stayed on and watched the rally, and then just came back on Sunday. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. You know, some people are already familiar with you. Uh, you know, you've been around for a long time, but could you please just give a brief introduction on uh, on who you are and uh, how and how you started Rally Raid products? Well, we're here in the UK, so we've always ridden in the UK, and we started riding trials when I was about... 12 or 13, and then uh, once I got a job and could afford it, I started doing, well, it was scrambling then, but then it's all motocross now, and still did the trials, and then got a bit older and got into the enduro, and then just progressed into rallying, um, and I, there wasn't really anything about specific that I wanted for the, the first, I had a 525 KTM, so I made my own sort of rally kit for that. And then when the 690 came out in 2008, again, the same thing. There wasn't really that much out there, so we just decided to make our own rally. Um, so I just raced the bike for a year or two. And then um, we had a lot, a lot of interest from ADV guys saying, you know, that's, that's really what we want is more fuel capacity, a fairing. And so it was, it was quite a straightforward move to convert the, 690 rally kit into a 690 adventure kit, and that's really how the business started. But I've always done engineering, had our own engineering business, so it was a sort of natural use of the machinery and the talent we had to do in engineering work to 
take a sideways move and do the motorcycle adventure part. Wow, that's great. So, how long have uh, has has Rally Raid been around as an official business? In official business, twelve years now. Right on, right on, right on. So you've seen fundamentally, you know, in in Europe, you guys always had these ADV bikes, like the Africa Twins and stuff like that. We didn't have them here at all, right? So we we had some of the some of the long and the tooth models, like the DR650, you know, the KLR650, and all that other kinds of stuff. So your scene was obviously much different from ours. I mean, but now that it's more popular in the U.S., do you see a lot of sort of activity coming from the United States? Oh, definitely. I mean, over 50% of our business exports outside the EU, it's sort of 50-50 between the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Um, yeah, it's a big market for us. And it started off with the 690 KTM, and then it sort of naturally progressed. We, we took on the CB500. Um, and that's really popular in America. Um, and then we sort of a little bit different and we looked at the new G310GS a few years ago and we did a similar thing to that that we did for the CB, my best suspension, what we do with coat wheels. And, and again, that's taken off. Um, I think there's a definite, there's a definite growth in the, the smaller, lighter adventure bike. Um, a lot of it is because of the demographic of the rider. Is getting older. You know, you go to an adventure meeting now and you see that the guys are getting older. And a lot of people are thinking, well, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to carry on riding, I've got to downsize, you know, and, and that doesn't mean you have less fun. In fact, a lot of people have bought the 310 or bought the CB and then they contact us to say, you know, they're actually going on trails on their own that they would never have gone on a bigger bike because, it, you know, you've got the confidence that if you, if you do drop it, you can pick it up. And if, if you do drop it, it's not really going to cost the earth to repair it. A lot of people, it's just getting over the psychological thing that they're, they're downsizing. But I just think, you know, as long as you're still riding, who cares, you know, what size the bike is. The main thing is you're having fun and you're still enjoying the riding. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So what made you want to go from making mostly uh, rally uh, kind of racing competition components to making, you know, re- serious upgrade parts for bikes like the 500X and the 390 uh, and now the 700. Yeah, well, the rally, that's how the business started, um, developing the rally part. But obviously with the lack of the rally sort of scene, there is a limited amount of customers. Um, it, it's a very niche sport and it's not a cheap sport. So there, there is a limit how many kits you could actually sell. Uh. Once we had people contacting us about, you know, could, could they use the rally kit but convert it to an adventure kit, we did that. We made an adventure version of it. And then all of a sudden we realized the market is exponentially much, much bigger. So that, uh. that meant that we could, you know, if you're selling more kits, you can, um, you have more time and more money to invest in development with the rally bike because it is such a niche market that the kits tend to be more expensive because, you know, you just can't recoup the development costs very quickly. But the adventure market is that much bigger. So we, we do have the time then and the money to start um, looking at uh, developing suspension, developing aftermarket. Awesome. Because you know you can recoup the, 
the cost because the volume there is worth doing. Yeah, well, I mean, especially in the U.S., I think Europe is probably less of a problem. But it's such a small market in the United States that achieving real high-scale manufacturing and bringing those costs down is sort of a challenge, you know? I mean, if it was consumer electronics or baseball hats or something, yeah. I mean, you could, you could, I mean, you bring those costs down real fast, but, um, uh, you know, but especially with the type of work that you do. So, all right, on to the topic of the night. So, for someone that's completely new to this, all right, what is your bike suspension and why is it important? Well, the first thing is you've got to think with suspension. It's the contact between the, the solid part of the bike, the frame, the engine, and it keeps the idea is it's contact between the bike and the ground via your wheels. So that's the basic description of suspension. The next thing is you've got two parts of the suspension. You've got the spring, which is the, the part of the suspension that hopefully keep the wheels in contact with the undulations as you're travelling across the ground. And then you've got the damping, both rebounding compression, that uh, restricts the speed of the, the spring compressing. So they're, they're the sort of two basic factors. And in an ideal world, you want the wheels to be in contact with the ground at all times, unless you're jumping. Um, and that's the sort of million-dollar question, is how do you cover such a range of bikes, of, of the weight of the bike, um, the weight of passengers, hard luggage, soft luggage, different terrain. Um, it, it's a real um, Pandora box is to create fencing that would cover that range. And however you do it, fencing tends to be a compromise eventually um, because every rider has their own different requirements. Yeah, so that makes it almost impossible just to kind of send out a universal product, right? Yeah, we all our shops and fork kits when 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 the customer orders them, they they sort of fill in the little tick box of rider weight, type of riding style, whether they're going to have passenger um, and extra luggage. And from that, you can get a pretty good idea of what spring rate they would need, and then we build them to order. So the, 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 the shop bodies are there, ready, but we don't fit them with the spring, or some customers don't want a hard ride preload adjuster, but if they're never going to take a passenger and they're always going to have a consistent rider weight, then there's really no benefit in spending the extra four or five hundred dollars to in a hard ride preload adjuster. I'll preload adjuster is easy, convenient for the adjusting preload. So we, we can tailor them to suit um, individual riders um, because every like I said everybody's different. It's, it's very rare that you find two people that want the same thing. I'm sure. So here's a here's just like kind of like it's a little one off question, which is, you know, if you're talking about uh, preload adjustment, when do you change that, and uh, when do you leave it alone? Well, the first thing is to set your preload. When you, whenever you fit a new spring or you get a new bike, is set the stand. Um, and really to set that, you just want solo rider with your riding gear, very little fuel in the fuel tank, no loaded, nothing. So you're really looking at the minimum weight of your bike. You set your stand and then anything else that you add to the bike is plus weight. So whether that's more gas in the tank, it's extra luggage, it's a passenger, it's always plus. Like I said before, it, it, a lot of people, if they're riding adventure bikes and they're riding solo, 
they're probably pretty consistent on, on rider weight. So once you've set this out, a lot of them would never adjust it. But if you're the type of person that probably rides the bike in the week to work or trail ride a little bit at the weekend and then you might go on holiday or touring with a passenger or a lot of luggage, then you really do want to adjust, adjust the sag before you go away with the extra weight. Because that's the whole point with the Tenere. It has got hydraulic preload adjustments that Yamaha has fitted as standard. So, you know, if it's there, use it. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a much better way of adjusting sag than having to use the, the mechanical idea of having a lot of getting a C spanner in there and, you know, it's a, it's, that's a real fact. So to have just a, a knob that you can turn and give you 10 mil of adjustment and pretty roughly 10 mil of adjustment gives you around about 70 kilos of capacity to add to the bike and still keep the sag at the optimum. Awesome. So now, you know, we hear a lot about sag and setting sag. What happens when your sag is off and how can someone set it themselves? Uh, well, if it's most bikes from you tend to be understrung at the rear. And the Tenere isn't, isn't an exception. It's sort of sprung for somewhere around about 150, 155 pounds. So anybody that's heavier than that is going to notice bike squats when you sit on the bike. And as well as the only advantage of that it makes it easier to get on and off the bike. But the disadvantage is as soon as you're riding, it, it, it actually takes weight off the port. So you've got less weight on the front wheel, which can make the bar shape and can make it want to push out in the corner. But the main thing is when you ride the bike, you'll notice it just blows through the stroke on the rear shock very quick. So if you're on, if you're off road, it really does, um, you do lose a lot of ground for it straight away, and then, and then any anything you ride over any rough terrain, you're just going to go through the shock stroke very quickly. So the, the 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 thing you want to do is get the sag right so the shock is up in the stroke, so you've got you're using it, so you've got as much uh, suspension movement in reserve as possible, and you've also got as much spring capacity in reserve. So later on, if you do want to add luggage or passenger, you you You've got that in the bag. Awesome. So we have a question from from a viewer here, which is, how important is it to adjust your clickers? I guess that would be your uh, rebound and uh, dampening. When you increase preload, or I guess alternatively decrease preload, to say for luggage. So the first thing to do on any bike is set the sag, because that's your base setting. So once you know your sag drives, both drives, and driver sag, because they're linked, then you can ride the bike and you can adjust your clickers. You know, you've got on the Tenere, you've got um, compression and rebound adjustment on the rear, and you've got compression and rebound on the front. With the rear, um, you really want to set it so you've got as much movement as you can without the bike, without the rebound coming back too fast. But like uh, you were just asking, if you, if you add more preload, generally, you have to slow the rebound down because if you add more preload, that's going to make the spring recoil faster. So you tend to want to, if you're going to put more preload on for a passenger, then you just probably add a couple of clicks of rebound as well to compensate for the extra preload that you have. Hmm. Okay, so so you do have to kind of adjust them both at yeah. the same time to a certain extent. 
is it equally important to do it all the time, even with small adjustments, or is it just if you make big adjustments, like one day you're solo riding and the next day you've you've got the kitchen sink on the back? No, um, the, the, the sag is the most important, but you probably find if, if you're riding solo and you get a good set solo, then if you do go away on holiday or any trip and you can just put the luggage on or a passenger, you, you have to crank up the preload and then generally, like I say, you'd probably put two or three clips of re- extra rebound damping on and just to slow things up a bit because otherwise with the, with the extra weight on it's going to compress the spring more and faster but then also it will follow the spring back as well so you just want to sort of slow things up a little bit. Awesome, awesome. And then we have a statement here that says so we've got a guy, Kevin Zucht, who's doing a full suspension on his ultimate T7 build, mainly off-road, but panniers and dry bags for long rides. Mm-hmm. He says he would need to do a full rebuild front and back. Is that what you would suggest? Uh, if you really want, yeah, the ultimate off-road, so you've got you get the full benefit there, yeah. Because the, the standard shot's not too bad. We dynoed it from you. You pay while build shot. It's got fairly good damping. It's a little bit light on the rebound, but it's not too bad. It's springing on the shot that or very low, but the forks, if you do correct the shock spring by putting a stiffer spring on, it tends to put more bias onto the fork, so that's when you notice the fork on uh, the performance even worse, you know. So, yeah, if you want maximum performance off road, then really um, that's the best way to do it is to put a, cartridge, a new cartridge to it and a new shock. It depends how, how far you want to go into it, not just how much money. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, this this is one of these things again. We talked about, so what's the difference? If you're just riding a street bike, you've got, you know, street street standards for what's a good suspension. If you're riding a motocross bike or a trail bike, you have different standards for that. But for dual sport, and the guys from Yamaha came on here several shows ago, and they said, you know, making good suspension for a dual sport bike is crazy difficult. And it almost sounds like if you consider what a consumer is asking, you know, out of the system, it almost seems like it's kind of impossible without it being electronic or something like that. You, you know what I mean? So what's the challenge there in trying to get a, I say analog, but, you know, a non-electronic automatic sensing adjusting, yeah. you know, good, good suspension? Yeah, the thing is with the, with the road bikes, you're working in, you can work in quite a small window. And, and the same with motocross, because they're all off-road, you're at this end. Whereas an ADV bike, you're trying to stretch that window to go in, into the off-road area, but also for the street bike. So you, you've really got to um, have a shot that's got a, a, a good capacity to resist bottoming, but still have a, a good suppleness for the smaller bumps and sort of manholes, potholes, white lines on the road. Mm. That's really where you need as big a piston as possible so that you can flow oil um, at really low speed consistently, but also not bottom bottom out when you have the big bit. So it is, yeah, if if you can set an, if you can get something to work on an adventure bike, you're doing well because it's probably, you know, one of the harder bikes to set up because of what you're asking. You, you want it to be good on the road, but also good off-road. And so it, it is a big window that you're working to try and get all of that to, to function correct. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty tremendous <laughs> deal too, especially because you know some yeah. people are actually quite aggressive on these large bikes off road. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not just their riding. You've got such a, a range of weight. You know, you can have somebody from say 150 pounds riding so on, and then you can get another rider that's probably a 210, 220 pounds riding solo, and then you can go to the complete other end where you've got 210 pound rider with a 180 pound passenger and luggage and the top off. So you're, you know, the percentage that you're adding to the bike weight wise can go from, you know, probably 30, you're probably looking at a 35 percent minimum up to nearly 100 percent. You're nearly doubling the weight of the bike if you've got a rider, passenger and luggage. So it's, yeah. a, it's a massive range to try and compensate for with springs and dampen. Yeah, so here's a question. What do these kind of like electronic systems do? I know there's some variation yeah. in, in how they act, uh, you know, but I was at the junket for the Tiger 1200 a couple of years ago, you know, and it's got the sensors uh-huh. on the rear swing arm and the fork. And man, I mean, that thing just really did a wonderful job. I personally kind of, you know, tend to be more old school about stuff. Like, I want to keep sensors and electronics off my bike for the most part. And that's one other thing I love about the T7. You know, it's just got the basic stuff you need, you know. um, You know, there's not going to be a warning for low tire pressure or anything pop up and, you know, like all that kinds of stuff. But what do these electronic systems do? Well, you've got two types. You've got got an open loop or a closed loop. So you can have electronic in the sense that if you want to adjust the preload, like on a GS BMW, for that switch on handlebar that's probably got one helmet, two helmets, so you can you can adjust the preload electrically. Um, so it's the same preload adjuster that's, that's on the Yamaha, the T7, it's a hydraulic one, but instead of having a knob like you have to adjust, you have a small electric pump under the seat. But that, that's just adjusting your preload. If you want the damping, like I said, you can have an open or a closed loop, so you can have a very basic electronic system, which most of the bikes have, where you can adjust the damping again from the handlebar. So if you want road, off-road or enduro, it will adjust the damping by turning a small screw inside the shop to um, move the range of the damping. To, you know, to drive a softer or harder, whether you want off-road or road. And then if you really want to go the whole hog, which is very few bikes have got that, um, is you would have a closed loop system where the bike is, you adjust it, but it's also monitored, you've got feedback, so you, 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 you complete in the circle. And that really is limited to just a few bikes. It's mainly road bikes. It's very difficult to do with an adventure bike because the problem with an adventure bike is the length of stroke of the shot. Generally, that's the problem. You know, we've looked at it with tractors actually with the Tenere because they already have electronic shock development for um, other manufacturers, but they tend to be street bikes. And to put it into the Tenere we were talking about um, and, you know, looking at development for the future. And to do an electronic preload adjuster is relatively simple because we've already got the preload adjuster in there. But to start putting uh, electronic dampening in, it, it, it's the, the difficult point is the, the stroke of the shot. 
um, put in all the equipment in there because it all, anything you put in eats into the stroke. Whereas with a road bike, the shock tends to be a similar length but much less strokes, and you've got more room to fit um, extra mechanical and electronic parts in there. Well, awesome. So if so, if someone and we'll, just, and we'll just kind of wrap up this general section, and then we'll move on to stuff that's more particular about the Tenere Seven Hundred. But if someone is looking at a stock suspension, uh, and that's all they've ever ridden in their life, what would you say is probably the most cost-effective upgrade for them to do? You know, that's not going full-blown into okay, whole new shock body. Um, you know, new pistons, new valving. Now, now it has you know uh, compression as well because you pay premium for that. Yeah, the, be- the, the sort of best value for money is to get the sag right, and you can do that for sort of hundred and twenty dollars, you know, about eighty pounds, with a brand new spring and for the shop, and that that will make a big difference because as well as getting the sag right on the rear, it'll transfer it'll transfer more weight. Then to the front of the bike, then you'll find even with the standard for it, it'll help the tire to grip and it will make the fork action a bit better because it does transfer more weight to the front so you've got a bit more bias. But yeah, definitely, you know, for less than $150, just get, get, get the right spring for your weight, you know. And, and the other thing is run the right tire pressures. The amount of bikes I get on when we go trail riding or swap from bike to bike. And you get on a bike and it, it's just, you know, it feels harsh and it's got very little grip out of the corner and the front's very loose going into the corners. And then when you start, it's probably running 35 PSI still in the tyres. So you, people forget that the tyres off-road, that is another element of your suspension. You know, and it's, it's a big part as well as, you know, if you air down the sort of, you know, if it, 15, 16 PSI in the rear and probably 20 in the front would be made. But the extra, not just the grip that you get from the tire, but the actual feel of the bike, it just feels um, less harsh. Mm. Well, that's one of those things that I've heard different opinions on. There, there are some, there are some folks that are out there uh, advocating the idea that, you know, set your tires at around 25, 30 and forget about it. So <laughs> the question is, is, when do you actually need to air down? We tend to do because the riding we do over here in the UK is very muddy. It, 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 you know, six months of the year it's really muddy and loose stones, so grip is an option. Um, so we air down a lot. You know, we like to ride on the road somewhere, um, let the tire pressures down, ride off road, and then as soon as we get to a garage or we carry a pump, we pump them back up for the for the hour or two back on the road. But uh, it's not quite so critical if it's where grip's not so important. You know, if it's in deep sand, you can get away with it. But if you look on the video there that you're running, that's the sort of typical riding that we do for six months of the year. It's quite muddy, clay, greasy ground. So if you don't air down the tyres, it just makes life a lot harder to do. Mm, understandable. All right, so... Onto the T7, which is a hot bike. It's a hot topic. Yeah. Uh, you guys have had that for, I think, almost a year longer than we've had it Not in yet. the United States, right? Yeah. You've had a longer time to play with it. In a nutshell, what are your thoughts about the, the limitations of the stock suspension? 
I think firstly the way we look at is the price that it is a you know the, that the bike is not an expensive bike. There's a you're getting a lot of bikes for your money. And I think for Yamaha to build a bike for that price, you know, um they've looked at it and that they've not got any corners, it's a good engine, the wheels, the quality the finish is good. And and the easiest way to save money Carl, is suspension because a lot of it's hidden. So, you know, if you've got gold fortunes and a and a nice looking shop, for a lot of people that, that looks the part. It's only when you come to ride it and you realise, you know, the shop the bike is under sprung and the forks are under dam. So but you wouldn't know that in the showroom. It's only until you get it out there and start riding it and that you notice that. But the rest of the bike is is great. You know, we we've had hours now for eighteen months and we it's spent, I'd say, most of its life off-road as a test fuel. And we, we really have, you know, given it some stick and uh, it just gets better and better. You know, the engines, I really enjoy it. You can just put third and fourth gear everywhere on the front of full. Um, you can run it down to next to nothing. You know, snatching this, you know, the clutch is light, the gears are light. Apart from the rear brake, but we've sort of um, made it a bit grabbier just by going to a softer pad compound. But that's it really. I mean Yamaha they haven't skimped on anything else, it really is just suspension. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome. So, you know, we've been really impressed with it over here to ourselves and, and we're and we're gonna look into some upgrades on that. We'll hmm. try to see if we can work something out with you on that. Um, you know, but the main thing though is, you know, what would you suggest someone someone go at first in terms of like stages you say okay well let's say you know i'm not gonna go full-blown i'm not i'm not i'm not 220 pounds like i am and then carrying luggage or another rider something like that i just don't want it to be as soft or bottom out as easily as it does stock what would you suggest well the first thing is get, you know get the shot screen change for one that suits your weight and, and the sort of riding you're doing so you know, like I said, we do a chart where you can go down there and look at your ride away, whether you're going to carry a passenger, whether you're going to carry luggage. And from that, based on the experience and the measurements, we've got a pretty good hand from that now. And we can supply the right spring to give you the correct sag and still retain most of the preload adjustment. So, you know, what, what ideally what you want is when you've just got a rider with no fuel virtually as light as you can be, you've got the correct screen and you've still got most of your 10 millimeter preload adjustment, not you. So that then if you do put a passenger, put extra fuel in the bike, put luggage on, you've then got the adjustment on the preload adjuster to, to compensate for that extra weight that you're adding. So that's the rear. And then the front, that really is not as easy because it's, it's we found it was very difficult to try and do anything with the OEM fork cartridge. We've got a range of different fork screens and we've got our own preload adjustable cap, which is a big help if you just want to keep the standard fork with the standard screens. We've got screw on replacement fork cap and what that does, it's similar to the shop. It means you can adjust your preload. Um, without having to take the forks apart and just have a turn of a nut on top of the fork. Uh, and that's a quick fix. It's easy to fix. 
and it gives you the opportunity to adjust your stag um, without having to sort of mechanically take the fall. But if, if you then want to go to the next step, the, the, the thing we've spent the last year developing is a, a new open cartridge for these levels because we just found the limitation of the OEM port with the, the 20 mil piston that's in the cartridge. Um, so we Taken the 35mm piston cartridge kit that we developed for the African film, and we, managed, we just managed to fit it in the T7, and, and that open cartridge has got nearly three times the surface area the piston has compared to the OEM. Three times? Yeah, 300% is it? So, wow! So it means the shims that we're fitting, as well as being much bigger, they're much more subtle. So you get a, a much gentler, Break when the, when the piston is moving, and it, it, it gives us the opportunity then to, to shim the, the piston so you can have the nice stuffiness for the small little bumps and the imperfections on the tarmac, but then we can also have a, um, we've got a much better PDS, which is the final antibotany, um, so we've got our own design of PDS for the, for the Big 35 mil cartridge where we've got a, a check valve in there so we can have the lightness to cut cover for the small bumps without worrying that it's going to blow straight through the stroke and bottom out um, which is something we, we just really couldn't get with the, the standard cartridge we were just sort of chasing the tail eventually so that's the sort of middle option and then if you want to go the full sort of race off-road option we do the same 35 mil cartridge that has a closed cartridge, which has a gas bladder in the bottom. It obviously a higher spec than the open cartridge, but it's more money. So you've sort of got your three options there. You've, you've got the standard fork, which we have just picked out. You've got the open cartridge, and then you've got the closed cartridge. And then we also do, we've sold a couple of sets of people that or the very tall people, or people, mainly people that are going to ride the bike quite hard off road, they're fine for this plus 30 mil travel suspension. So that gives 230 mil travel front and rear. That must make it quite tall though. That's the only problem, yeah. You've got to be sort of quite tall to do that because obviously for every inch you add to your travel, you're adding an inch up on your seat height every time. So unless you want to start cutting the seat away, um, you know, that's what I say to people before you buy the toilet suspension. The best thing to do is get a couple of bits of two inch thick timber, lay them on the floor, and put the bike on the timber, and then try and get on the bike. Because that's the sort of, um, that's the sort of difference it's going to be, you know. Two inches. Yeah, get yeah. 30 mils, so sorry, inch and a half. I've got the metric. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's still. Close enough. I think you would kind of get the idea yeah, yeah. on that, you know, like in terms of how, how well that would work for you. Yeah, that's inch and a half, um, sort of 30 mil was a good compromise between having some more suspension travel but not raising the seat height so far that it, 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 it made it difficult for riders to get on and off. And the other thing was there's, there's plenty of overlap in the forks because some of the bikes you have to be careful about adding travel to the front fork because there's not enough overlap between the inner and the outer fork tube. So you've got a risk of um, your bushings getting on, onto the limit of, of overlap. 
but on the uh, T7, on the Tenere, there's a massive amount of overlap, so there's no problem. You know, we, we could make a 280 mil travel if we wanted to, but, you know, when we tried it, it was just, uh, it was just way too tall, you know. Um, so that's how we ended up at 230 mil. Yeah, well, that's a that's a fair amount of difference <laughs> there for sure, for sure. So here's a question then, you know, what are the uh, what are the cost range? You know what I mean? So if if someone just wants to go in with a basic upgrade and you have a medium and then you have the full on you know race uh, race blown style upgrade, what's someone looking at? If you just want the the shock spring, like I said, that's about one hundred and twenty dollars. If you want to go for the the adventure shock, which is a direct replacement, it's the same travel as the OEM shop, but what you've got is a much higher quality uh, body. It's got the same 10 millimeter hydraulic preload adjuster, but with a, a bigger piston, and it's got high and low speed compression damping. So that's around about $1,400, and that would come with the correct screen tailored for the rider weight. Um, the rally shop is actually no more expensive. It's just the extra length um, with the stroke, which, you know, when you're building them, it's neither here nor there. So that's, um, and then the fork kit, um, you've got your preload adjustable fork cap, which come out at about uh, $400. And then you go to the full kit, which is the open, you've got the choice of the open cartridge kit, which is around about $1,000. And then, Think the um, the closed cartridge, and that's in whether it's an adventure the standard length two hundred mil or the two thirty mil rally. That's coming out at about fourteen hundred dollars. Wow. Okay. And um, how about installing these? The the shock spring is pretty easy to install. Yamaha have made it. Um, that's another good thing about the T seven. You know, it's the big plus for me is it hasn't got loads of bodywork hiding everything. You know, the engine is accessible. And the same with the shop. It's literally 10 minutes to take the shop out, swap the spring over. If you've got a decent spring compressor or a local suspension guide, then do it. Um, in the UK, we do a ride in, ride out service for people. But if you've got a local suspension person, you know, they'll have the tools to do it. If it's just a sh- if you're changing the shop completely, that's even easier because that is just take the OEM shop out. Um, you put the new one in. The only thing we've found is every bolt we've done so far, it's best to grease the linkages because from the factory, the, they're very light on grease. So while you've got the shock out, it's well worth taking the dog bone and the linkage out, rising rate, and putting some good quality grease in there. Mm, awesome. Now, something that, you know, <laughs> Jenny Morgan and I have in common is we are, we are freaks. About nineteen and seventeen wheel sets. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. I know a lot of the the off road purists out there cringe at the idea of putting a nineteen seventeen wheel set on a bike like this. But I've got to say, I saw a picture of someone that had supermoto wheels on a T seven, and it looked like a lot of trouble with the law. I mean, <laughs> it looked like it was just it would just be too much fun. For one person to have, but do you guys have any, you know, and you know, if there's anyone I think in the industry, uh, anywhere in the world that would do something wacky like make a 1917 kit yeah. 
for <laughs> T7, I think it would be you guys. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, we did it with the Africa Twin, and it it's now our best-selling set of wheels. We sell probably two to one Lowe's Supermoto wheels, 1917 to the Africa Twin, and we do replacement tubeless wheels. So that shows um, it shows two things. One, that a lot of people aren't riding the bikes off-road. They want the adventure style, the high bars and the comfortable riding. But actually, when you put a 19 front and a 17 rear on, it really turns it into a hooligan bike on the road. You can really throw it around. And there's, there's nothing better than we used to have the Africa Twin. And you could go out with your adventure riding gear and you'd be, on, especially on the back roads, you'd be tucked up behind someone on a sport bike. And they'd just get, they'd be doing a double, you'd be, you know, really looking under their elbow, thinking there's a guy behind you on an Africa twin. But what they, you know, they didn't realize you've got some really good road tires on there. And, and the thing is with, with an adventure bike, they tend to be lighter and more flippable. So I wouldn't say it's out of the question. It's just at the moment we're really snowed under with, um, you know, the existing new products we've got. Um, but it's some Probably next summer if I fancy doing it on my bike, but I'll definitely try it. Yeah, yeah well, certainly if you do uh, and you want someone to test to get the word out. It was the, the Africa Twin with the 19-inch front and the 17 rear was an absolute scream. You know, yeah. it was just so much fun. You could be on the back roads and you'd come out of the hairpin and just flip the clutch in second gear and you'd be up on the back wheel and... You know, and you could really use the brakes for the maximum because that's, that's the only problem with having a 21 inch front wheel and a skinny 21 inch trail tire. The brakes are way better than the grip that we've got, you know. And um, so we found that with the Africa Twin that once you went to a uh, 19 inch front with a much wider tire, you could, the braking um, distances just demolished, you know, because you've got so much front end grip there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see if you guys do that. And then I was also talking with Jenny and said, well, one of the problems with the T7 is, is it's got the cast side stand. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we've done 1917 conversions to uh, a 2008 Versus, which which I loved. We did a 1917 to a KLX 250 SM, oh, yeah. which ended up being marvelous. And then we did a 1917 conversion to a KTM 690 Enduro. Yeah. And I loved every single one of them. I mean, all those just had steel side stands, right? So we got a buddy here, Mitch Piper. He's from New Zealand. He does a lot of the fab work for cars, race cars, roll cages. And, you know, he, he, he helped us out a little bit. He chops it and then, and then welds the foot back on. But I got to be honest with you. It's not that I really need the extra seat height or anything, but uh, I just love it. You know, I love, I love the balance between the, between the on-road handling. And the fact that you can still get a little bit messed up on gravel roads and, you know, and things like that. I mean, you know, you start to get limitations when you start to go into things that are more narrow or more technical or you start hitting, you know, larger bumps and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a bit, it's the balance, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not that outrageous because when, you know, people say, you know, why, why put a 19 inch front and a 17 rear? Well, like when we did the Africa Twin, we said, well, hang on. BMW has been doing that for years. All their GSs were 19 inch front. 17 rear, so oh yeah, yeah. I think it's just because it's a, a 2118 combination, and, and, and 
it, it, it's a sort of slimmer bike that people think it's a bit strange. But actually, when you're ridden the bike, it really is fun to ride. You know, it's probably something we may do down the line, but um, at the moment we're pretty tied up with it with existing because the Tenere is just going out of the shops like uh, like no tomorrow. You know, there's there's a wait. Most dealers have got a waiting list, and because the bike is so undersprung for real, you know, we're we're really um, you know, keeping it, trying to keep up with the suspension and um, some of the other products that are going out quite regularly. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, a lot of people during this COVID thing started finding that they had supply problems. Did you guys find that at all? Not too bad because we machine all the parts we do, we machine in house. So we don't really rely on outside suppliers. But the suspension is all from tractor suspension in Holland. So that's fairly close to us, and we also do machining for them, so it's a bit of a reciprocal thing. So, but yeah, because we, we do all our development in-house, we do our own CNC machining, our own injection molding. We also, we've got our own fabrication shop where we can do all the engine guards, luggage rack. Um, so we're fairly independent that way, which is, which is really safe if we, we cut busy right through any of the lockdowns. And, you know, we've got a, a few more things development on the back burner for the T7, but at the moment we're just pretty busy and you um, trying to keep up with the demand because, you know, you talk to all the dealers and they're all trying to get more T7s in stock because uh, they're, they're priced right and it's a good bike, you know. And, and I think the word's out there now and people, you know, they're looking to get hold of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, ours come from Japan in yeah. the U.S. Yours comes from France or? They're made um, in, by MBK in France, yeah. Yeah. Same spec as far as I can see. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just Yamaha that have made a lot of their bikes in France and Italy. The old Tenere's used to be made there. Uh, mm. It's a historical thing. Um, and I think a lot of it was from sort of Dakar days because obviously the French Galois and you know the riders like Peter Hansen and that they they rode the big Yamaha Tenere's and they tended to be developed by the French Yamaha. Ah, okay. So that, so that's sort of where it came from really. Oh. Yeah. There's quite a lot of history with the Tenere in France. They're very, very popular. Wow. So, so how is the the supply of bikes over there? I know it's very, very thin over here. It's very much the same here. I mean, second-hand prices have gone up, and, and getting hold of new bikes is really difficult at the moment. You know, we, we've got a customer looking to uh, set up an adventure touring business over in Kazakhstan. You know, they're looking for six DB500, and you to get six brand new bikes at the moment as one made Pretty, pretty difficult. Same with the Tenere, you know, there's a waiting list everywhere. And, and if anybody's got one that's six months old, you can get good money for them. So, um, that's just the supply thing because a lot of the, a lot of the bikes, um, the supply chain broke down from the Far East. So it's, had, it's now starting to have a knock on effect. Yeah, right on, right on. Well, Thanks, John. You know, there's been a whole ton of information you've you've kind of shared with us here. I'll go lead into our last question, which is our canned question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any words of inspiration or advice for future adventure riders? Uh, keep riding. That's, I, I, I just think, you know, 
if, if, if you want to do something and if the trail's too gnarly or just, just, you know, have a think about it and, and think, well, are you on too big a bike or maybe the tires are too, you know, not quite what you're doing. Generally, the bikes, whatever bike you're on, will get it. It's just a matter of working out what stopping you're getting there. And, and, and I find most of the people that I know are getting older that still want to keep on riding. You know, we're, we're all downsizing. And the thing is now, there's such a good range of middleweight and lightweight bikes for adventure riding. And the value for money is fantastic these days. You know, and there's, they're not, you know, it's not like the old days where you'd have to go out. We used to go out and you'd take spare plugs and points and coils and things if you went away for a week's riding. The bikes now are just so reliable. I mean, we've got a CB500 in the shop now with customers. And that's just come back from around the world trip with 90,000 miles on it. And nothing's gone, you know, the engine is untouched. And, and we just, that's not the first one, you know, we've had three or four now like this that have done nearly a hundred thousand miles. And the main, you know, you, you, you'd say what happened and they've probably had an indicator bulb go. So apart from chain and sprockets and things like that, which are just, you know, they're consumables, the bikes these days are fantastic, you know. And for me, there's never been a better time for, for, for middle weight size bikes. If you want, and, and I ride solo a lot, same as Jenny does. You know, we meet a lot of people riding solo when we're out, and we also prep a lot of bikes for people that are riding solo. And, and if you're riding solo, you know, the first rule is you've got to be able to pick your own bike up. And all of a sudden then, you know, you realise that you've got that excludes a lot of the big bikes where the marketing people are trying to get people to, you know, ride the big bikes. The reality is most of the people that are riding on long trips Solo, but generally on, you know, 500 C, C bikes, 600 or, or smaller, you know, that you don't see many people solo riding 1000 CC plus bikes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, at least not a, they have to do a variety of terrain. Yeah. I mean, if you're street touring, that's, that's, that's something oh, else. Yeah, yeah. But if, 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 if you, if you want to ride solo and do a few trails, and especially trails in somewhere where you've never been, so you, you don't know what's around the corner. And if, if you get around the corner and, and you go steeply downhill or steeply uphill, and you're not that confident, you can do it. A smaller bike, you can just get off, put it on your hip, drop the clutch and spin it around, and, and go back where you've come from. Whereas a bigger bike, it's a it's a much much harder operation, you know. And and they are relatively so cheap now. Compared to the big ones, there's some, I mean, the T7 is really good value. And then you look at the smaller bikes, but they're even cheaper. It's a really inexpensive way to travel. Um, when you've got bikes that are doing 70, 80 miles to the gallon. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're spending more on coffee and lunch than you are on fuel for the day. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's hope well, we see something like a Tenere 450. Uh, that is available for consumers. I would be 100% about that or a 500 or something in parallel twin. I would, I would just love that. I would just love that. Yeah. I think the manufacturers have, have, have finally sort of drawn in on them that, the, the, you know, that there is a market there. Um, like I said, it, that the demographic is that most of the riders are getting older, that even the manufacturers are realizing that, you know, 
a smaller bowl, it's more attractive to them. Well, that's also important for new riders and younger riders, and you know, I mean, I mean, you just want that full spectrum. Yeah. I, I I tend to favor smaller bikes, but the fact is, is you want that range. You know, you want a range where someone can come into something, afford it, and then if they want to go bigger, they can go bigger. If they want to stay the same, they can go the same. If they want a different type of bike, they can go to a different type of bike. Yeah, we know? we find the sort of mid size, like the CB and the three ten and even the ten or eight. You've got a mix of riders. You've got half the riders that are coming down from a big bike to a smaller, lighter bike, and then you, you've got the and they tend to be the older riders, and then you've got the younger riders that are coming up from a smaller bike into the middleweight bike. So you, you you're sort of meeting a lot of people in the middle, you know. And there's there's such good value now, um, Carl. There's some there's some really good um, bikes out there for, for for not a lot of money, you know. Yeah, totally. Well, all right, John, man, thanks for coming out. Please hang around for a few minutes. Uh, after the show, we will just kind of debrief. Thank you. That's good. All right. Well, thanks again to John for coming on our show tonight, especially considering the time difference. It's, it's very late there for anyone over in the UK. You know, having traveled some uh, very desolate parts of the world on very inexpensive bikes myself, uh, I could personally attest how important suspension is for your overall safety and enjoyment. Many riders tend to ignore this upgrade in favor of other add-ons like luggage, windscreen, things like that. But uh, even though it's more work and often more cost to set up a bike's suspension to your needs, weight, and riding style, it is 100% worth it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. If you've only ridden with stock suspension, getting a proper setup is one of the biggest improvements you can make to your bike. And often the difference is so dramatic that some people hardly believe it. Sometimes you won't even think it's the same machine anymore. But please visit rallyraidproducts.co.uk for some of the best upgrades to your Rally ADV or dual sport bike. They've got a whole host of individual upgrades for a bunch of bikes. Some made, I guess most of them are made in-house, and you simply cannot find them anywhere else. There's a lot of real innovation there, uh, and you can tell that John and everyone over there really care not only about the machines, but the riders and giving the riders what they need to enjoy their experience and uh, their bike. But up next, please join us in one week for the next installment of ADV Moto Pod with host Nathan Slabaugh. And then again on November 19th uh, for ADV Moto Live number 19, making movies with John Putch and Rich Montgomery. John and Rich have uh, backgrounds in acting, directing, and production in some major TV shows, some of which I'm sure you've seen, as well as movies. Um, they've also released a short series of hilarious Mid-Atlantic BDR spoofs, uh, which are worth watching if you would like a laugh. And I know over the past couple of days of some news and things we've got going on in the United States right now, I could use a laugh or two. But as always, your support means a lot uh, and keeps the motorcycle world running uh, for everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel and visit AdventureMotorcycle.com. For more news, reviews, videos, podcasts, merch, and more. Until next time, from everyone here at ADD Moto, ride safe and have fun. Wow.